Our reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 24, and then 36 to 47. Acts chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thanks be to God for his word. You know, becoming a Christian is a life-changing event. Or it ought to be. Your future's different. Your ultimate eternal destination is in heaven with God rather than in hell without him. The past can't be changed, but you are released from its hold on you. The person you are now is no longer determined by your past mistakes or the wrong things that other people have done to you. That is the liberating power of forgiveness, which is God's gift to his people through his Son and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. John Paul Richter had a point when he said that humanity is never so beautiful as when praying for forgiveness or else forgiving another. Without forgiveness, we can never be free of our failures. But forgiveness does set us free. It's not a license to sin with impunity. It goes hand in hand with repentance. If we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, our lives will change direction. The new management wants to introduce different principles by which we live. And Jesus gives us the power to live in accordance with them. The knowledge that we are loved unconditionally liberates us from the kind of insecurity that locks us into selfishness and fear And when we receive God's love into our lives, that turns the focus of our lives inside out. So that instead of seeking things from other people all the time to meet our own inner insecurities, we have the emotional capital to give to other people. We become net givers 
rather than receivers. That is the power of the gospel. And you see the impact that had on the early church. Those who accepted Peter's message, believed and were baptised, started to live life a different way. Some of them went back home and took the message of Jesus with them. Fifteen different nationalities were represented that day. When they went home, people went to 15 different parts of the world taking the good news that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and by believing in him, people's sins could be forgiven. Others stayed in Jerusalem and they devoted themselves, Luke tells us, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Let's never make the mistake of supposing that once someone has believed and got baptised, we can tick them off and that's the job done. Trusting in Jesus and getting baptised is the beginning of a lifelong journey of discipleship. And it's only as we, as we embark on this journey and carry it through that that initial Christian commitment becomes truly life-changing. And that's done by the power of the Holy Spirit, but there's stuff we need to do as well. We need to devote ourselves to living the Christian life as those first believers did. What did they devote themselves to? Well, it's not rocket science, but it's disconcerting the number of people who think they can live successful Christian lives without devoting themselves to these four essential building blocks. One, devotion to the apostles' teaching. Conveniently bundled together for us in the pages of the New Testament. In the NIV, about 180,000 words, the length of a couple of novels, as long as they're not Russian novels. If you want to know where to start, begin with Mark's Gospel, which in the original is just over 11,000 words long. If you're serious about the Christian life, get reading. Or in these days you can listen on, on whatever electronic gizmo it has, has that for you to tune into. But trying to follow Jesus without the scriptures is like trying to find your way around an unfamiliar city without a map. You are going to get lost. You're not going to find the way. It's not an optional extra. Devotion to the apostles' teaching is essential. And devotion with prayer really goes hand in hand with that. It doesn't have to be half an hour spent uncomfortably on your knees trying hard to concentrate. It's about sharing the day with God as if he were in the room with you, alongside you at every moment, being aware of his presence, thanking him for the real difference that makes and bringing him your concerns for yourself and for others. Prayer moves God out of the sphere of something I struggle to believe in sometimes, into the sphere of his being a friend we enjoy spending time with and whom we know we can trust. You can't live the Christian life without God. But if you don't bother praying, that in effect is what you're trying to do. And if you can't figure out where to begin praying, just start with the Lord's Prayer. That's why Jesus gave it to us, a model for our prayers. Take it line by line. Pray the first line, think about it. Pray the second line, Think about it. Allow God's spirit to guide and direct you because God wants to make that connection. But only you can make the time available for him to do that. Breaking of bread. It would have been good if we'd celebrated communion tonight rather than this morning, wouldn't it, for this sermon. But breaking of bread is Luke's term for communion. And in this church, the table is open to anyone who wants to follow Jesus. And I'm glad that's the case. 
It's food for the journey. Every time we break bread, we come back to the essential truth that Jesus died for us. His body was broken. His blood shed to put us right with God. Communion brings us back to basics. It renews our relationship with God. It reminds us that our sins are forgiven in Jesus' name and that God renews our hearts by his Holy Spirit. It expresses the truth that we belong to God and to each other. Taking communion keeps us on track. Bottom line is that we belong to God because Christ gave himself for us. He redeemed us. And we belong to God for eternity. We need to keep that truth in mind. And communion reminds us of it constantly. Then there's number four, fellowship. Belonging to and being part of a church. For God, the solo Christian is a contradiction in terms. It is part of his plan and purpose for us that we should be embedded in the body of Christ. Where we belong in a fellowship of mutually supportive relationships. Where we give to others and we receive from them as well. Church is there because being a successful Christian is really difficult and we need the support of other people. But also because God wants the church, our fellowship together, to be a witness to the rest of the world about the difference Jesus makes. God wants to be able to point to us and say, there, that's how people can live together. There, That's what I had in mind when I made the human race. Doesn't it work well? Isn't that a challenging thought? But those who stayed in Jerusalem joined a church that if Luke is to be believed was truly remarkable. People think he was giving us a bit of an airbrushed picture but later on he makes it clear that not everything was perfect there by any means. But in that church, broken and damaged lives were mended and healed in Jesus' name. In a remarkable display of generosity, those who had goods or property that were surplus to requirements were happy to sell them so that the proceeds could be shared out among the other members of the community so no one went without. These were people who enjoyed being together. Fellowship went beyond a quick cup of coffee after the morning service. They met together every day in the temple courts. They welcomed each other into their homes. They shared hospitality. They remembered Jesus in bread and wine together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God together and everyone was amazed and impressed at what was going on. Everybody knew that these people had something special. And what they had, of course, was the Holy Spirit in abundance. God filling them in their life together with his presence. It was the Spirit who filled their hearts with generous love for each other. It was the Spirit who gave them the desire to spend time together worshipping God. It was the Spirit who inspired their prayers in such a way that they saw miraculous answers. Peter had not lied when he said to them if they repented and got baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, then they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because God's promise was for everyone. And it was as the Spirit filled their lives that the church became such a marvellous group of people to belong to. Luke almost makes it look like a little bit of heaven on earth and 
And why shouldn't he? Because that is what the Holy Spirit is about. The Holy Spirit creates the kingdom of heaven in our hearts and lives here and now. So that in our worship of God, in our love for each other, in our increasing freedom from sinful patterns of behaviour, in the joy that fills our hearts, we catch glimpses and other people catch glimpses of the glory that awaits us in heaven. The Holy Spirit creates little bits of heaven now in our lives and in our fellowship together. And it's fantastic when that happens. And from God's point of view, as he looks at the church living life together in the fullness of his spirit, his heart is gladdened because he sees in his spirit-filled people the successful outcome of his decision to create us in the first place. We are designed to be the blueprint showing the rest of the world that we are humanity as God intended us to be, sharing life together in loving, supportive, generous, joyful relationships. And when that happens, it doesn't get much better than that. It has been immensely encouraging and challenging listening to Chomno share about the work of the Cambodian Hope Organisation and to hear about the ways in which God is touching and changing people's lives out there. As he talks about his church, you can see the overlap between what is happening there, here and now, today, and what Luke says happened back then in the first days of the book of Acts. Chomno selling his house so he could go and, and work in Poipet with people there. The fact that they begin every single day with half an hour of prayer from half past seven till eight o'clock. Now I'm sure, Tromlo, that, that your church is no more perfect than Brighton Road is or any other church or indeed the church in Jerusalem. We all have a long way to go. We are a long way from being as we should be. But the Christian life should be one of making progress. As individuals and as a church, we should be able to look back and say, look how far we've come. Thank God for his grace and his power at work in our lives. We know we are still nowhere near where we ought to be. But in those closing verses of Acts chapter 2, Luke gives us a target to aim at. A picture of a church sharing life together in the fullness of the Spirit of Christ. That is our blueprint. That is our goal. That is what God wants to see worked out in practice among us as we allow the Spirit to fill our hearts and govern our relationships. Because the Spirit of Christ is essential in that. The Spirit of Christ is as essential to the smooth running of a church as oil is essential to the smooth running of an engine. The engine might be in perfect shape, but without oil it will rapidly overheat and seize up. Without the Holy Spirit filling our hearts and governing our relationships, there will be friction and tension and difficulty and awkwardness and trouble. Without the Holy Spirit governing our hearts and minds, it is so easy for us to lapse into being just that little bit small-minded, that little bit inconsiderate or unloving, a little bit fearful, a little bit proud, a little bit unforgiving. We are still, after all, only human. That is why it is essential that each of us seeks to live a life of continual openness and submission 
to the Spirit of Christ. So that when people look at us, they don't see the imperfections that are governing our lives and the way in which we relate to each other. But they see the genuine article of people who are indwelt and governed by the Spirit of Christ. And in as much as the Spirit reigns in our hearts and our relationships, they see the qualities that are so missing in our world. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If these qualities are missing from our church, then no evangelistic program on earth is ever going to be effective because people aren't going to join a dysfunctional church. Or if they do, they will quickly become seriously disillusioned. So Acts can be our model for what church can and should look like. But it's the Holy Spirit who makes that possible as he fills our hearts. So to return to my opening statement, yes, becoming a Christian is, or should be, a life-changing experience. But it's the Holy Spirit who is God's agent of change. And how much we change depends entirely on how much sway we allow him to have in our hearts. He is the one who will lead and prompt us to read the scriptures to encourage us to use those spare moments in prayer, to be devoted to our brothers and sisters in the church. Luke gives us a picture of what that looks like when it's going well. It's rightly been said that there is no such thing as a perfect church, and if you find one, you mustn't join it, because you'll only spoil it. God's desire is for each of us to submit our lives the gentle governance of his Holy Spirit. And then as we walk together and watch over each other, he will lovingly shape and mould us and so fill us with his Spirit the more and more we embrace and conform to our true identity as the body of Christ, people indwelt by the Holy Spirit in all his fullness. We have a long way to go. Please don't take that as a criticism of Brighton Road on the part of you as a minister. But Luke says at the end of Acts chapter 2 there that the Lord added to the number daily those who are being saved. That's the impact of a spirit-filled church. We can look back and thank God for how far we've come. We can see what a long way we have to go. But for the meantime, we can ask God to open our hearts to his spirit and for him to govern us as individuals and as a church together. So let's do that now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you open our hearts to receive the fullness of your presence within us. Flood us with your goodness. Banish our darkness by your light. Cleanse our sinfulness by your purity. 
Replace our indifference with your zeal. Purge our selfishness with your love. And Lord, make us temples worthy of you. In Jesus' name. Amen.